The following podcast contains adult themes and topics. Yes, we're going to talk about adults and their learning habits. What did you expect? We are Natalia. I'm Ida. I'm Bogdan. And together we invite you to join our non-formal talks. Welcome everyone to our sixth episode. Today we are following up on the discussion from last time when we talked about experiential learning as a principle in non-formal education. But we're going to give a more emphasis to the theoretical part. So theories within the experiential learning field and how they fit in uh, in a non-formal education context. Um, I wanted to share a couple of, of the thoughts that, that I had around these theories. I'm actually using two, mainly two theories. The first one is the very well-known Kolb's experiential learning cycle. Well, the second one is the experiential education model created by Laura Joplin. So if we look at the very first one, the experiential learning cycle of Kolb, basically, we, as the title, as the name says it, it it's a cycle. It's designed as, as a sort of a cycle. We come back to a starting point somehow. The starting point for it is experience. Uh, it's when we as individuals go through a certain uh, experience, we live uh, different actions, we feel things. Following the experience would be a reflection. It's a moment where we uh, get to look at the actions that we've done. We are looking also at the emotion and examining the emotional dimension of what has happened. And then we try to, using our previous experience, we try to make uh, sense out of, out of that initial experience in this third spot, which is called the conceptualization or meaning-making moment, uh, when we try to come up with elements that would give us some sort of a predictability in the future. So we are looking at what learning points we grab in order to, in the fourth phase, to put them in action, to test them, uh, to see uh, whether these uh, theories that we've built uh, actually stand. And this action actually can in itself sometimes be considered also a new experience uh, in which, again, we embark in a new uh, journey in this cycle, uh, which again follows uh, reflection, conceptualization and back again to, um, to the next step and the, to the putting in practice. So if this is the theory, then how does this actually look in practice? Maybe Natalia, you can share with me an example of how you actually put this theoretical model in practice. Uh, maybe the easiest example to take would be a team building activity, which we all do. And I guess we all can uh, relate to this. Uh, I guess each of us who those who are trainers at least at least once in the life did a team building activity with a group. And usually it is based on the assumption that we need to provide some experience through which people can go uh, in order to improve group dynamics, to improve trust, to improve uh, relations, to improve communication, 
and in general to become uh, a more efficient team. And team building, we do both in the training context as a, let's say, as a preparatory phase that the group could learn more effectively and efficiently together, but also uh, in some other context when simply we have a team which misfunctions or functions somehow, but uh, they would like to function better. And uh, for example, let's say that we have a group of, I don't know, 15, 20 people, and then we provide them an experience. For example, there is a swamp exercise when they need to cross a swamp on the floor, imaginary swamp, when only a trainer knows on which steps they can step and on which they cannot. The exercise is very much stimulating not only to remember where the person before you stepped on, but also to rely on support of others. And this is how the exercise provides this group experience when people test different means, different ways of trusting each other, of communicating through different channels, and also in general functioning and succeeding together when they pass uh, through this uh, swamp exercise. And this is the experience as such. And before that, they can discuss how they do that, and then they test their strategy when they actually cross um, the swamp. And when the exercise is uh, over, when everybody crossed uh, the swamp, <laughs> crossed from uh, one side of the room to another side of the room, uh, this is where experience as such ends. And um, usually this is a moment when trainer invites everyone to sit in a circle and to debrief. And uh, with the debriefing, the first thing we do, we go to this uh, reflection phase uh, of the Kolb cycle. And reflection phase uh, starts again with uh, checking whether there are any emotions which uh, may be disturbing or maybe too high. So the first thing we do, we just let people to went out and to, to let everybody say how did they feel. Sometimes we really need to spend a lot of time here, but quite often also it's quite a fast stage if experience was not emotionally involving uh, to go to um, actually this first level of uh, reflecting on what actually has happened more like uh, highlighting the facts of experience and then it's a little bit a blurry line between here and uh, conceptualization when people after analyzing what has happened they sometimes already come to some ideas but still, as facilitators or as trainers, we usually bring them back because behind different steps of experience, which we would like to analyze or sometimes deconstruct, um, there is some learning moment which usually we have in our objectives and we would like to highlight. And basically, this stage somehow goes naturally to this making sense of what has just happened when he did that, when I did that, and we communicated like that with, uh, with hands or with our body language because we are not allowed to speak. And uh, in real life, I, some people may say that I always jump first and maybe this is not the best strategy. And a lot of learnings in terms of team buildings can happen here that probably some people take more naturally a leading role, some of those that are follow. Uh, so there are those always who actually call for thinking uh, <laughs> about strategy and there are those who just immediately do stuff. And all these elements somehow needs to be discussed in this, um, in this making sense uh, moment. And 
here people first of all recognize the patterns of the strategies that uh, they have and they use and also they think whether these patterns are working and whether these patterns are the strengths for this team or not and if not then they also think okay what could be uh, what could be a working uh, strategy for us as a team for example in this environment and this is slowly by this we slowly go to um, to this application phase and for example if it's a team building which um, after that is followed by um, by a training course so then we can maybe ask okay then taking this experience what what do we how do we want to be as a group as a learning group as effective group um, in this week and people maybe can come up with um, certain rules or certain steps which um, everybody agrees on or some um, behavioral patterns which will help people to um, to learn um, the most um, together and i guess this is very important and the most important that this is not the end of the experience. Basically, uh, after this <laughs> very conceptual reflection on how we would do it better in future or how we would make it work in future, ideally there should be a next step when people go to a new experience, which would be this testing. And this is why it is called cycle. And I guess team building is a good example in this sense because usually after team building, this experience uh, happens. And often, if something doesn't work, there is always a way to go back and to reflect um, how we can still improve it and how we can... Uh, but it will be already a different uh, <laughs> cycle. It's like a spiral which uh, basically doesn't stop until the group is there. Yeah, exactly. I, I, this is one of the elements that I appreciate the most about this model. Um, and the example you gave with the team building is quite uh, relevant. Um, usually in my practice, I, I look at having this uh, sort of a contract drawn out at the end of this reflection that you are talking about. Um, and then uh, indeed during the week, uh, usually you can uh, come back to this contract whenever you see that certain things that have been agreed uh, by the group are not uh, examined anymore and are not taken into account. So, so it's easy to see to what extent uh, the learning that we say uh, emerge from the team building would be actually uh, applied. And we can actually explore this even further. We can, as you said, we can uh, add new activities that then would allow them to practice that learning. So it really depends uh, on the context. And this is, this is one of the, the elements that I really appreciate uh, about uh, the cycle, the fact that you can actually carry the learning from one activity to the to the other the, the downside somehow of this particular um, uh, theory is that very often at least in my practice i find myself in in moments where when i realize that participants you know they shared uh, and agreed uh, with with certain learning that come uh, comes out of, of one activity but then they fail to put it in practice right away uh, and this is one of one of those struggles that we have as at least I have as a trainer uh, in in seeing how the learning is actually carried on and we don't just do activities for the sake of doing it uh, and, and it because in the end what happens is that it would very much uh, put in focus this idea that that the Kolb cycle is more as of, of an individual 
process because the, it's the individual that goes through it. So even if we are in a group context, each individual goes through his or her or their own uh, learning cycle, actually. So it's interesting to see when we put all the cycles together, that there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of things that we may even learn just from simply from listening to others. The question, however, of actually carrying that learning into a new activity, that's something that we will talk later when we look at transfer of learning and, and analyze it a little bit uh, further in details. In context of a Kolb cycle, I guess you can look at this experiential learning from two perspectives. One is like this natural one, as when you have an experience and you reflect and you conceptualize and you see, okay, what you do and you come up with a new experience based on this testing phase when you apply what you have learned in practice and then you enter a new cycle. But sometimes, um, in let's say if we take some professional training context or business training context, for instance, you need people to learn tools, so how to use certain tools. And then, for example, experience could be already some sort of a testing phase after some sort of an introduction. And then it will be same cycle, but different in a way, because this reflection phase would be more like okay how am i with this tool it's more like we, we will enter to this change making uh process within organization for example when they use a new i don't know software let's say that everybody needs to learn how to to use and then making sense how it can work for us as a team as uh, internalizing this new tool that we all need to 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 use and then at application phase maybe even to consulting with some experts if anything needs to be fine-tuned for the needs of uh, of the team and then you enter to another um, enter another cycle uh, when you test basically once again and once again and this is how change management usually is implemented mm -hmm. exactly so looking at this theory and and reflecting a little bit on it, it we cannot help but notice that there are a couple of assumptions uh, that are underlying uh, this theory and one of them would be for example that learning is uh, an active process so obviously the experience we are talking about it's expected to involve all kind of senses uh, in order to support this process of uh, meaning making and constructing meaning later on it's also a process in which uh, people learn to learn they would actually by going through through the, through this such a process they would at some point reach a moment where it becomes clearer to them how uh, they actually learn and what would be maybe their preferences in terms of learning it's also comes out the fact that learning is quite contextual that it it's important uh, you know not to separate uh, you know from from the rest of their lives so you don't learn isolated topics, items, theories, and so on. But they are, they are, they are always connected to, to some kind of a, a re real life uh, experience. So again, you bring your own experience from the past, uh, going through the experience in the cycle. Uh, and then when you reflect, you make the connection between what happened a few minutes ago and what you already know because of your life experience. So this would be some of the features that we can easily identify in, in this process. Um, Maybe what would be interesting now also from a practitioner perspective is to very briefly go through uh, 
the second model that I mentioned in the beginning and, and the, the, the one that I want to talk about, which is this five-stage model uh, of experiential education defined by uh, Laura Japlin. Uh, and if we can imagine uh, the model visually, it would be very hard to describe it also as a non-native speaker, but let me give it a shot. We could imagine it as a, as a sort of a diagonal line that starts, let's say, on the bottom uh, left side and goes in diagonal to the uh, top right side of, of, let's say, of an A4 size page. In the middle, there would be a, some sort of a spiral uh, whirlpool type of thing on this line. So it would not be a continuous line, right? Now, what happens is that when we start the educational process, so when we're starting uh, uh, going through this, through this particular model, uh, the very first step in the very beginning at the bottom left would be the focus. So this moment uh, is basically about uh, presenting the task to the group of people, explaining what it is about. It's about outlining the objectives we are going to work on and somehow, because also of the word focus, isolating their attention from everything else that may distract them and really putting it to the center of the, the core topic that we want to work on. Then, as we go along the line, as I said, in the middle, we would have this sort of a whirlpool, uh, uh, hurricane type of uh, uh, section. Here, we are talking about the action, actually, the, the, or what we just uh, mentioned in the previous uh, model, the, the actual experience. And this is supposed to be a challenging action. It's not just supposed to be any action. Challenging because it's supposed to uh, get people uh, to some degree in a stressful situation where they somehow are not able to go around and avoid the problem, but they actually have to head on face it. Uh, so going through that process uh, and continuing through the line, what, what happens as we go out of that whirlpool would be the debriefing, which heads more towards the top uh, right-hand side. And what happens is that in this process, so until here, we have elements that somehow, let's say, they're not far away from the experience, reflection, uh, conceptualization. There are some, some elements there that are similar to, um, to Kolb, let's say, to a certain degree. However, what I really appreciate in this model is that we have two dimensions that are added and that are sort of constructing around that hurricane-like uh, part which is in the center of the line and that is feedback and support and I think these are two elements that are really crucial uh, because what we mean by feedback uh, and support is actually really being present there as an educator uh, in order to on one side uh, provide feedback to the learner to support uh, and give an answer to the various action that they are actually undertaking and also support, meaning giving them guidance, uh, providing them, for example, an indication of what kind of tools they could use in order to, uh, to move forward, or maybe asking questions that they have never thought of uh, that could also uh, give them a, a, an extra push and so on and so forth. And then the debriefing the part is, is really a moment where you look at, uh, again, sitting down, reviewing the entire uh, process, and sitting uh, and distilling a little bit uh, the learning that has occurred. Now, what I appreciate, as I said, about this model is really the fact that um, it allows me as an educator 
to think of the learning process a little bit in a different way. If Kolb is more individual, so it's me understanding how the learning process of the individual goes, here with this model, it allows me to plan the learning from the perspective of the educator. And paradoxically, uh, it has also eight characteristics that are added there. So you will see there will be some kind of resemblances, obviously, both with um, uh, the elements that I mentioned behind the experiential learning uh, cycle of Kolb, but also to some of the principles of non-formal education. I'm not going to go in detail. I'm just going to uh, explain them. Uh, explain. I'm going to just list them, let's say. So it, it would be student-based rather than teacher-based. So again, the focus is on the student. So the student is the one that goes, is, you know, through the process of getting focused, uh, experiencing this challenging action and then reflecting in the debriefing while the teacher takes more of a backseat and provides the support and the feedback. It's personal and not impersonal in nature because obviously uh, uh, you, you will be looking at the feelings, at, uh, at the perceptions, at the thoughts uh, that, that the learner is, is uh, having while going through that challenging action. It's also process and product oriented. So we also want to get results at the end, but we also see how we are going to, to get uh, to, to those results. It's also, um, it has a dimension of internal and e internal reasons, yeah? Uh, but also external reasons, obviously internal, because we are looking at uh, uh, basically how uh, the individual goes through uh, the experience, but also external because obviously we need to also prove that the learning has happened in order to have uh, uh, at the end uh, a certification or and so on and so forth. And the, the personal in the internal, sorry, the internal dimension is also related to this uh, self-direction uh, uh, of the individual uh, that may, as in not all individuals require support and feedback, and many individuals are uh, independent uh, enough to go through that process by themselves. Then it's obviously organized around experience, this challenging action I mentioned in the middle. Um, it has a, this dimension of perception uh, that is at the core rather than theory itself. Uh, and last but not least, there is a dimension of individuality in it as well, because there is the individual that goes through the process is actually focusing on this self-development, on achieving a certain uh, objective for him or herself. Uh, and rather, we don't focus so much on the group here. However, in the non-formal education settings, what I like about it is that we can touch on both dimensions. And you've, you've, you've given uh, us an example by talking about the team building exercise, when actually at the end of the exercise, uh, we can sit together and discuss. And we could use this model for the very same exercise, looking at it uh, as, you know, uh, as an approach. So I don't know, would you like to take us uh, maybe through this model, maybe even with the same uh, exercise, or would you like to share another exercise that, uh, that could give us an illustration of how the model looks in practice? Natalia. Yeah, well, um, you know what, Bogdia, we're thinking about that it reminds me very much something and <laughs> it actually reminds me uh, how do we plan sessions in general for for the training courses 
And I think often we do incorporate most of the things that you said when we design a session outline, where, um, for example, where there is an exercise as with a, with a core for experience and debriefing, but also usually um, there is some method or methodology for providing feedback either within the group at peer-to-peer level or when simply trainer gives some input for example for especially when you work with some sensitive topics um, and uh, yes we can of course say that there are no right or wrong answers but sometimes actually there are like and um, if a training course is about human rights, you cannot just allow racist comments or so on. And then you need to clarify certain concepts. And this is part of a feedback. Then I thought also this element of feedback sometimes can be incorporated directly to the methodology. And for example, you can see this in um, different um, activities, but also at, at gamification series, for example, at uh, board games, which often are used as non-formal education tools. Um, also says that sometimes feedback can come uh, directly from um, uh, from the exercise of the game by the way it is designed. When participants do something, there is certain reaction by by the design, <laughs> so they receive a feedback immediately. And I guess this is also partly how it can be done. Same as support, sometimes can be incorporated directly to the methodology when uh, certain things can just support like. Uh, tricks or when they can ask for, I don't know, for advice or when they can um, just discover something, certain elements which can be, that can give some hints, for instance. Mm, And then I was thinking about this element of focus. I guess uh, we do focus every session on specific objective and specific aim. this is basically the first thing what you think of when you design uh, an educational activity, experiential learning activity, what is the aim and what is the expected learning outcome. And I guess this is also where you go to certain things which obviously some learning moments can be open-ended and can stay with participants forever, but certain things have to be measured. And we do measure them with different assessment tools or evaluations or simply by asking for feedback from participants. So in this case, uh, feedbacks also, feedback also works uh, both directions um, and can play different role at different um, stages of, uh, of the session. Um, I, I don't know whether it makes sense for you. It does, it does. And actually, it makes me think that even when we plan a session, uh, what do we start with? What is the very first element we think about is the objectives. And that somehow also corresponds to the focus. And uh, very often, we also, uh, in actually, in an actual session, when we start, we start by saying, okay, this session is about this particular topic and what we want to look at is this and these objectives. So, so it kind of you know, mimics a little bit, kind of copies a bit uh, or or puts in practice, I would say, this model. But before we finish um, our episode today, I just wanted to check with you, uh, what would be from your your, uh, perspective, what would be one of the biggest challenge uh, in using experiential learning in in, in non-formal settings? Because for me, for example, uh, one of the thoughts that that I've been struggling with lately is this idea that in the reflective part, so when we, let's say, go through the call moment, so we sit and uh, after a, uh, an activity and we have a debriefing and we try to bring people in this reflective part, uh, what I notice is that it's 
very difficult for people to actually really recall what happened and and maybe this skill of observation observing and also being able to separate uh, facts from thoughts and feelings uh, and emotions i find it uh, i find it quite troubling that that very often uh, people don't get really uh, to to name them out uh, very very clearly and the fact that the observation habit is not there uh, uh, no doubt it also has something to do with formal education where you are not really expected, uh, at least again in traditional settings, to really observe things. We are rather expected to reproduce things that you've heard, uh, which is a completely different process. But I have the feeling that somehow many, many young people that I see in trainings carry this uh, also in the non-formal settings. So I don't know if this is a challenge that I've noticed, what would be one that you've noticed, Natalia? I honestly think, uh, and this is a question, open question to everybody, uh, whether this is not our role uh, to also to um, somehow educate people to reflect and observe, because this is not, let's say, a skill which is trained by life often, especially in this high-speed world when we just uh, swap the pictures on Instagram and so on. And I would take it as a responsibility uh, for a trainer as uh, the one that basically runs these experiential learning activities. Uh, obviously, debriefing sometimes is challenging. And I guess what makes it difficult, the reflection stage, is actually questions which are relevant to experience, whether experience was holistic and whether it actually involved uh, brain and uh, feelings and so on, uh, and whether... Also, it was challenging enough that people could react to it at the reflection phase. Uh, and I guess if it is not challenging enough or if it is not enough stimulating experience as such, then um, I guess the debriefing in this case might be very much on the surface. And then sometimes you might uh, come um, across the need to put some meaty questions in the debriefing, which in fact <laughs> would just start a new experience and a new cycle in this case to save uh, experiential learning activity which did not work. And um, this is for me um, some of the questions which are challenging. And obviously to keep a focus um, on the main thing when uh, there are so many things which are sometimes um, opened up um, is also a challenge. How to give space to all these um, definitely valuable experiences, uh, thoughts, ideas, and how to balance it with being focused on the main um, learning um, we intend to extract out of this session. And whether this, whatever we agree in the debriefing, whether it's really an agreement and the learning which would be taken forward, uh, or it is my assumption as an educator that people have learned it and maybe it means nothing for them and they say still stick with their own opinions. This is, I think, also um, uh, uh, maybe something to reflect on. And again, how we allow this testing or application at least somehow happen in, in whatever happens afterwards. Because often we plan activities as, okay, here we do a team building and the next session is on human rights education or, I don't know, on project management. But how do we link... Um, how do we link this actually different uh, cycles in one cycle which makes sense through the training program? I guess this is also a mastery of uh, being a trainer. Yeah, I think you, you obviously 
put out there a lot of elements of thought. Uh, and trust me, we're going to come back to quite a few of them later on in, in episodes where we're going to look at dilemmas, where we're going to look at different questions. For now, uh, I hope that uh, having uh, been with us and having uh, reflected on your own practice from the perspective of Kolb cycle, but also Joplin's uh, five-stage uh, model of experiential learning, will come in handy uh, for you in the next training courses. Uh, join us in the next episode uh, next week when we are going to talk about experiential learning, but uh, particularly about experience, how we define experience, what is experience, uh, and so on. Until next time, uh, take care. <laughs>